I just want to say this before I get Krista up. Um, I don't know this lady. In fact, the only words I've ever said to her was, hi. <laughs> but you know this whole theme we've been on this morning about being in the Spirit? And the hand of the Lord was upon me, and I was in the Spirit. Come up high, and immediately I was in the Spirit. Paul says this, we're to know no man after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Another translation, another, somewhere else says, it deep calls to deep. And so, the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. And sometimes you just capture what God wants to do and what, what, God, what God wants to say just by the Spirit. And so Gary, when Gary got back to me and said, Krista can come, I'm like, this is amazing. Oh, wow, who is she? <laughs> and I've actually, you know, I, I wasn't checking up on you at all. But um, we've got, I know a lot of people that know your husband, Sean, uh, Sean Smith, and... I just, every, just thinking about you being here today and just what God is doing and what God's stirring in the house. Chris, I just want you to know, I believe you're going to bring the word of the Lord to us today and that you're carrying something, an anointing from God for this, this house right now and everybody who's watching online. So church, I, I really want to give this woman of God um, all the rest of our time this morning just to discharge everything that's in her heart for us as a people before she has to quickly go and get on an aeroplane so on that note church can i ask you all to stand and honor this lady as she comes amazing come on life church i'm so honored to be with you thanks so much pastor for having me and pastor dan pastor fee and I tell you what, um, it was one of those invitations that's unexpected. I got off the flight, and I'm with Gary and Gail, and we're driving, and I've never um, been to their ministry. We've known each other for a few years because we're both connected to Todd White's ministry, and they're key in his ministry. And so my husband and I partner a lot with Todd uh, for different things. And so we've met on trips. We've gone to different nations together. So we've become really close with them. We love them. And so when the invitation came, I was like, this is so random, but it's random enough to be God. Right? And just to give you a little bit of my background, so you're like, who in the world is this woman standing in front of me? I have been in full-time ministry since 2003. And I've run a couple different schools of ministry with the partnership of Bethel Church out of Reading, planted one in Las Vegas, Nevada, that's called Job Security, and then one in San Francisco Bay Area, which is where I currently reside. But I've been in uh, pastoring, pastoral positions uh, for 13 years prior to getting married almost five years ago to my husband. Now we travel full-time itinerant. That's what we do full-time. We're plugged into a local church. Our senior pastor's on our board. Uh, we really love the local church, but I, I was in position pastorally like associate pastor for many years, um, executive pastor, whatnot. So I love the local church. I've had multiple roles. I predominantly lived on the West Coast, so I'm a West Coast girl. Um, I have a word for you this morning. And so although I'm unfamiliar, what is so true that Pastor Dan said, it's the Spirit of God that bonds us, right? Because I love that you can meet someone in a moment and all of a sudden they become family because we are family. So although you're unfamiliar with me naturally, I pray spiritually we have a connection because we have the same Father, right? And so I believe the Father has a word for you this morning. And I love that I just even got a pour out of the last couple nights with Gigi. 
GGG and just be a part of what God is doing. And then yet another watering hole, which is that's what I'm declaring over you. Another watering hole opened up to me. And I just believe God has yet another word to release. Is that good? So uh, just thanks for welcoming me. And thanks for opening up a door and trusting me because, hey, I pastored for 13 years. And I know that, you know, you're careful about who you let behind your pulpit because it affects the culture of your house. And so I really am humbled that you would just trust them enough to trust me, to trust Jesus, and here I am. So I'm expected. Is this good? So I just want to dive right in because I feel like uh, I really want to just kind of prophetically begin with what I believe the Lord is doing um, in the spirit, but then specifically I want to touch what he's doing, I believe, in the state of Illinois. I was praying through as I was flying to the state of Illinois on Friday, and I got some things in the airplane, and then as I'm a land person, so put me on the land, and then I begin to get things. Anyone else like that? You're like, get in proxy, and you're like, whoa, okay, I love what you're doing. So I just want to talk about, there was last weekend was Rosh Hashanah. Who's familiar with that? And for some of us, we're really dialed into Rosh Hashanah. Others are not as much dialed into Rosh Hashanah that's okay. I, I, I do follow it, but I also dialed into it this year myself more than I've ever dialed into it. I felt like the Lord said, really pay attention to the shift in the spirit that's going to happen during Rosh Hashanah. So like never before, of course, I've been aware of it chronologically, but I'll tell you spiritually, my spiritual antennas went up to a whole other level this last weekend. And Rosh Hashanah took place, for those of you that don't know, last Friday from sundown to sundown on Sunday. So it's a two day process. It's considered the Jewish New Year. It's the head of the year. And the Lord kept saying, you know, there's been a cry in America. I'm going to specifically focus on America, although I believe this does apply to the nations. But because we're calling America our home, I'm just going to focus on this nation for this morning. But I felt like the Lord said, there's such a groan and a cry in America through such unprecedented times, longing for a new year, a new time. There's been so many people going, if we can just get through 2020, if, if we can just get into a new season, and I want to speak to those hearts with that cry and encourage you, guess what? We did. Last weekend, we actually crossed over into the new year. And so chronologically, it's different than our timeline because we go by December 31st. But in the spirit and on God's timeline, we actually just shifted into a new time, a new season, a new year. And what I I love is that at the beginning of the year, it's also a time of conception. And what was interesting is when I began to study this year specifically in Rosh Hashanah, I learned that Rosh Hashanah also means the Lord remembered. So I meditated and I studied on the remembrance of the Lord. And what's interesting, it's not that God has forgotten anything because we know God forgets nothing, but it's simply God remembering what has been promised, what has been prophesied, what has been declared. And I'm going to speak this over you individually, but also nationally. I believe things apply to us on a personal level, but things also apply to us on a national level. And I believe in the remembrance of the Lord. And what's interesting is when I studied kind of what the Jewish culture does during Rosh Hashanah, they specifically dial in 
on chapters 21 and 22 out of Genesis. And when you study out Genesis 21 and 22, this is where a lot of the scriptural reading happens in Rosh Hashanah weekend, which took place last weekend. And it's the focus on Sarah. Sarah, who was barren, God heals her of her infertility. She, be, she conceives her son, and that's where barrenness shifts to fertility. And I believe the barren places over America, the barren places over your land personally, just last week and shifted from the lack to abundance, from the barren to the fertile. And I even felt like the Lord says this year, like never before, and I'm talking from September to September, from Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah. I, I felt like the Lord says those that have not been able to conceive naturally are going to conceive physically this year. So if you know a barren person, I believe the Lord says, I am going to fill the womb of those that have been longing to give birth. It will be a prophetic sign at this time because there is such a fertility that is going to happen in the spirit in this nation. And what happens in the spirit, as we know, manifests physically right? It manifests in the natural. There is an agreement of the people of God of what he's doing in the spirit. He's going to manifest in the natural. And so I thought that was so prophetic. What God was declaring over Sarah is now available to us. I've never felt it so strong as I did this year. As we shifted, I literally felt like we got out of that really funky, weird place we've been as a nation for the past six months. And I don't know when technically this is going to fully lift, but I want you to know we're not going to go back to normal pre-March 14th or 17th or whatever that specific date was in March. We're not going, the goal isn't to go back to pre-March. The goal is to come out of this different and that we never look the same because we have been provoked to a place of desperation, a hunger that's unlocking a move of God and revival in America like never before. So the goal isn't to get back to the way it was. The goal is to step into the new thing that God is doing. And so when I was praying and I was at GGG last night, we had an outdoor gathering and it was awesome. A few hundred people came and we were just going after God together. During the day as I was preparing and I was praying, the Lord said, look up the spiritual history of the state of Illinois. Just a few things I'm just going to declare over you. Maybe for some of you, you remember these things, you know of these things. Maybe some of you have never heard of these things. Let them release hope into you as you hear some of your spiritual heritage as a state because your spiritual heritage in the state of Illinois is powerful. Did you know that this is so cool? Catherine Coleman was ordained in Jolette, Illinois. And what's so cool is Alexander Dowie, and I know things got weird in his ministry toward the end. However, there was a mighty outpouring, and God did use him, right? And even though sometimes people's stories go a little bizarre at the end, we can't negate the outpouring and the, and, and the impartation that did happen through their lives, right? We don't want to throw everything out, right? And so what was interesting, I discovered that John G. Lake, one of the greatest healers of our time. And God really used him in the area of a healing ministry. He actually lived in Zion with Alexander Dowie and partnered together for several years before ultimately he moved to Spokane and where Spokane was one of the most unhealthy cities in America. When John G. Lake was there, it became the healthiest city in America. So there was a real shift in transition. Here's what's powerful. Both Catherine Coleman 
both John G. Lake, so, some historically, some of the most powerful healing ministries that have gone through this nation came out of Illinois. Now, that is not by accident because I love, Bill Johnson has to me one of the best statements. He says, the coincidences are the language of heaven. Coincidence, coincidences are the language of heaven. There is no coincidence, right? It's God setting us up. And often we'll see patterns and we'll see these dots that need to be connected in the spirit because God's talking to us. through that. When I saw that two of the most major healing people that God has used historically have come and been connected to the state of Illinois, I said, Lord, I feel like there is a well of healing that you want to unlock in this state again. What once happened, what was once birthed out of the state of Illinois, God do it again. And then he, re he showed me, I found this really cool, uh, kind of like a revival historian did this blog on Illinois, specifically kind of in the Chicago area. And what was interesting is he talked about in July 2nd, 1913, Mariah Woodworth Etter. Who knows Mariah Woodworth Etter? Ooh, she's one of my faves. She's one of my faves. So Mariah Woodworth Etter, she hosted revival services that were only supposed to last the month of July. There was such a mighty out pouring in these meetings. They lasted for six months in Chicago. And they actually titled it the Chicago Visitation. Look it up if you don't know about it. 1913, called the Chicago Visitation. Come on, guys. I need a little more excitement than that. I'm telling you your spiritual history. And if there is a well that has been dug, guess what? All you have to do is keep redigging it, right? You don't even have to break ground. It's already available. That's what is so important for you to know about it. Sometimes we have to break ground and there's hard work, right? But sometimes the ground has already been broken in the spirit. So simply you are partnering with it and you are redigging what God has already done. You are accessing what's already available to you and what the generals of the faith have already accessed. Let their breakthrough become your breakthrough right? And so this is what's available in this land, specifically the state of Illinois. And what I loved is people came from all over to encounter the healings, again, another healing ministry from all over the nation. They said people came from up to 1,600 miles away. Now remember, this is during the time of trolleys and buggies. This is not airplanes. So 1,600 miles is really significant, when you have those modes of transportation. So understand the hunger. There was no advertisement. People just showed up. Why? Because when the move of God is happening, people will come. So I just want to declare over you, Life Church, it's time to redig the wells. It's time to pick up your shovel and start digging in the spirit what is available to you as a state. So whatever people have said that contradicts who God has said you are, this morning we decree and we declare that what God has done in the state of Illinois, what he has still planned to do, he has remembered because we have stepped into a time of remembrance of the Lord. He remembers you, Illinois. He remembers you, Life Church. He remembers you, son and daughter, sitting here this morning. Nothing is forgotten. And what seems seemingly broken promises, God says, I'm repairing and I'm restoring. Lord says, pick up a shovel and dig what's available to you. Do not miss the opportunity to partner with what God is doing in this hour. Amen?
I don't know about you, but I get super excited when I learn. If you can't tell, I get excited a little easier. And actually, my husband gets more excited than me. So, you know, it, it runs in our family, apparently. But I tell you what, when I learn about what God has done, it is simply a signpost and a memorial for what's to come. Because the word says we shall do greater exploits than even the things that Jesus did during his earthly ministry. Friends, we haven't even tapped into close the fullness of what's available to us. And friends, we, when revival feels least likely, when you study revival history, it's actually most likely. Why do I say that? We are in the most unprecedented time. And I know maybe in my lifetime, it is probably the most divided I've ever seen America. It is probably one of the darkest times. And living in California, we have had, oh my, uh, we, we need revival. I mean, we, 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 we have been in such intense, intense um, just warfare. I mean, we, we've had incredible violence, looting, uh, just so much stuff. There's been such an intensity in the spirit. And yet the more intense and the more dark it feels, the more I get excited. I know it sounds crazy, but we're like, oh, it's, it's getting so dark, God. Oh, come on. Because the light of his glory is about to burst through. Because I know historically, the darker it gets, the greater the outpouring. And so we need to get ready. We cannot cower or partner or come underneath that narrative of fear or intimidation. Friends, this is not the moment to be in fear. This is the moment to be in faith. And watch God move. That's our posture. Our posture is God. We know you are the answer. You are the one that's going to bring the outpouring. And God's looking for a remnant. I'm not talking about Isaiah this morning or Elijah. Excuse me. I'm not talking about Elijah this morning, but I did last night. And I'll just end with this, and then we're going to dive into the word. I heard the Lord say, just like Elijah said, I'm the only one. Remember? I'm the only one. They've torn down your altars. They've broken covenant. I'm the only one. And God's like, what are you doing there? Get out of the cave. And he's like, I have found 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. Let me end with this just prophetic declaration over you. All of America doesn't have to be worshiping God to have a major move of God. All America needs, you guys, is a remnant of 7,000. That's all God needs. God's just looking for a remnant that have not bowed their knee that are just worshiping the one true God, that are staying true to an undiluted gospel, that are just keeping their eyes on kingdom and not getting sucked in by a political narrative, a conspiracy narrative. I'm trying not to step on too many toes, but staying true in kingdom and it just keeping it about Jesus. Because friends, that's what our world needs. We just need Jesus. Amen? So just be a part of the remnant of what God is doing. Let's read Ruth 1 because I believe this is what God is doing in this moment. So we're going to read a portion of scripture. We're going to break it apart. And we're just going to see what Jesus wants to do. Amen? I'm going to read out the New King James. And I'm starting chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of the, name of the man was Imelech, the name of his wife was Naomi. 
And the names of his two sons were Milan and Chilion of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Imelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then Malion and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, for you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept out loud. And they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? husbands. Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. But even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, why would you wait until they grow up? Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept out loud again. And then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods, little g. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Friends, here is a story of three women that are in very bleak circumstances. They're grieving and in the monetary sense, because they've lost their husbands, and for Naomi, she's lost both her husband and her two sons, they are in a very precarious situation, to say the least. In those days, a widow was incredibly vulnerable because she wouldn't be one that worked outside the home. This is before women worked outside the home. So their livelihood, their monetary livelihood, was based solely on men providing for them, whether it be husbands or sons. And now as a widow, you're relying on the benevolence and the compassion of your friends and your family. So if friends and family did not come through as a widow, you could easily starve to death, death, which unfortunately would happen to widows during this time historically. And so you have to understand how difficult of a situation these women are in. They're not just grieving the natural loss. There is a grief of dreams. There's a grief of husbands. There's a grief of children. And for Naomi, her children and her grandchildren, the dream of family. Like when these men die, so much of their life, their dreams, and what they foresaw their future to look like also died. And so we have to understand the complexity, but also the depth and the grief of what these women were in. And I think it's safe to say these women were in a crossroad moment. Can you agree with me on that? This is a crossroad moment. When you look up the definition of a crossroad, a crossroad is simply a crisis situation. Sound familiar? Okay, a crisis situation or a point in time when critical decisions must be made. A crisis situation or a point in time when critical decisions must be made. Is it safe to say America is in a crossroad? Is it safe to say the church is in a crossroad? 
Is it safe to say that many of us, even sitting here this morning, we're in some personal crossroad? We're in crisis situations because 2020 has had a lot of loss. For some people, they're just fighting for their homes right now. They're just fighting for their businesses to stay afloat right now. For some people, they're fighting for their marriage because they've had so much quality time. <laughs> right? So there are crisis situations, and there are some people that have fought for their life due to COVID, right? So there is people that are fighting on so many different levels that have been affected because the effects of this current scenario are layered. And because there's still a ripple effect and we're still in it, we don't even quite know what it looks like when we come out of it, right? The future is still unknown, and that is very similar to Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. Their future wasn't known. They're in crisis. And have you ever tried to make life decisions in the midst of crisis? Emotions are high. Grief is real. Hope is fading. And you're trying to make a sound, God, good decision with all of that stuff going on around you and in you. Anyone relate? Yeah, all this stuff going on that couldn't possibly apply to any of us in this room. But here, Ruth and Orpah, they're in a key crossroad moment. And I want to say this this morning. I believe the decisions you and I make at the crossroad moments of our life actually determine our legacy. I'm not just going to say destiny because that's a given, but I'm actually going to talk legacy because there's a generational effect of the decisions we make at these moments of our life. I believe the Lord wanted me to bring this this morning to remind you, do not underestimate the decisions you are making at the Ruth one moments of your life, where you are grieving the loss. There is uncertainty in your future. Do not underestimate the power of this moment and this decision you're about to make. See, I believe that the enemy positions himself at the crossroad moments of our life. And there are two reports that we're going to hear, and we have a choice. Do we, re do we partner with the report of the Lord or not? And see, it's in the crossroad moments that whose narrative you are listening to is whose narrative you will partner with. See, these two women, I want to focus specifically on the two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. And I want to focus on them because these two women had the exact same situation. Naomi, Naomi had a little bit different factors in her equation. But Orpah and Ruth were identical. Both young. Both just lost her husband. Both are Moabites. And remember, Naomi is the foreigner. So they're actually in their homeland. They're around their friends and their family. Right? They're actually around people that could potentially take care of them. So as a widow, logically, it would make the most sense for the Moabite women to stay in Moabite. But see, they've married into this family. There's a bond. There's a covenant with Naomi. And so there is this wrestle in a crossroad moment of are we going to go with Naomi to go to her people in her land, or are we going to stay with our people in our land? And logic and reasoning would say stay in Moabite because that's going to be the most secure for you. And Naomi actually communicated that. We read the conversation between the mother-in-law and her two daughters-in-law. She actually says, as we read, she's like, no, 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 don't, don't go with me. I can't promise you sons. I can't promise you a marriage. I certainly can't promise you children. I can't promise you family. I can't promise you livelihood. 
And she's saying every reason why it's a bad idea to go with her. And isn't it amazing when people are in grief and pain and they're listening to the wrong narrative, they'll begin to spew their case towards you when you had planned on going with them. See, it says all the, both the girls were willing and planning on going with their mother-in-law. But when they heard Naomi's case, when they heard her argument, I'm going to go ahead and insert it like this. When they heard her narrative of grief and fear, isn't it interesting that narrative of grief and fear can be incredibly persuasive? Fear can be very persuasive, and fear can actually sound logical. Can I, st I just stepped on some toes, but I stepped right back. So it was just a light hit. Right? It's amazing how so many people are actually operating out of a spirit of fear. But they have called it reasonable, logical. But it's actually a spirit at work. Because we are not called to walk in fear. The Lord did not give us a spirit of fear, but of what? power, love, and a sound mind. And yet we are seeing a battle for people's sanity right now, literally. Because I don't know about you, I see some posts and I'm like, have you lost your mind? But it's amazing how Naomi was so overcome with grief. I'm not minimizing the reality of her tragedy. Tragedy is real. Grief is real. And yet it's in those vulnerable places where we're so vulnerable. <laughs> is susceptible to the wrong narrative because it's called a crossroad moment. It's crisis. And so here is Orpah and Ruth hearing the mother-in-law, who they respect, who they love, who they planned on going with. She's like, you're crazy. Don't go with me. I got nothing. She even goes as far to say, the Lord's hand is turned against me, meaning I'm cursed. Don't go with what's cursed. You'll be blessed. I mean, she goes that far. What does Orpah do? Orpah hears the case of fear and grief, and she gets persuaded by the narrative of fear and grief. So in scripture, we just read it, Orpah kisses her mother-in-law, and she goes back to Moab. And another way to say it, she stays in Moab. But Ruth, on the other hand, what did she do when she heard the exact same narrative? Two women, two situation, exact same scenario, two totally different responses that led to two different legacies. What does Ruth do? In that moment, she clings to Naomi. And she makes this powerful declaration, says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Scholars and theologians believe that was the moment of conversion for Ruth. That was the moment where she stepped into covenant with Yahweh. She said, your people are my people. Your God is my God. She's clinging. Can I put an argument for consideration before you this morning? There's so many times the American church, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be maybe negative for just one minute, and then I'm going to get real positive. <laughs> but pastoring for years, I would see all these people that would, you know, kind of grumble, complain, and be like, oh, I don't like the worship. I don't know if I really connect with your preaching. And... It was all about their preferences, and if they liked it, and they'd have one hand in their pocket holding their coffee in the other, and they weren't singing, they weren't participating, and I would challenge them and say, I think your external response is very telling of your internal atmosphere. 
And there would always be an argument. I could just be in the presence of God. I don't need to get all crazy. And I'm like, yeah, here's the problem. I see you when your favorite song comes on and you have to respond. I see you at your sporting events and you get all excited. And your whole body is participating in that moment. And yet when you come into the presence of God, you're disconnected, you're aloof, you're not, you're very observing. There's no participation. There's no engagement. And yet you would argue that there's no connection, no correlation. Can I humbly submit I respectfully disagree? <laughs> Lovingly. I disagree because I believe there is a physical response when we get into the presence of Yahweh. When we're in the presence of God, how can our body not respond? That's why we raise our hands. That's why we clap. That's why we sing. That's why we participate. We engage with the King of Kings, the Lord I am, because we recognize there is an ex there's an internal atmosphere that has to be released externally. So these two women's response, one kissed and one clung, told everything about where they were at. See, Orpa kiss, what's a kiss? A kiss is fleeting, it's momentary, it's a facade of intimacy. See, you can kiss a lot of people. I do not recommend it, but I'm just saying, you could kiss a lot of people and it not be intimate. People can kiss people and feel nothing. But I have to say, if I am clinging to someone, say Gail's standing up here and I am clinging to her, she's feeling that. That's intimate. What is that communicating? I'm all in. I'm not going anywhere. I don't care about your narrative. I don't care if you're afraid. I don't care if you're overcome by grief. I know that God told me to go with you. We're in covenant. I don't care what the cost is. I don't care what it's going to look like. I don't care that you can't promise me anything. I know it's uncertain. I know it looks illogical that I'm not choosing to stay in safety and security, but I'm choosing to follow God by following you. Sometimes following God and doing God things looks illogical. And yet it's smack dab exactly where we're supposed to be. And here Ruth is clinging to Naomi. Friends, I believe we're in an hour, in a moment in our nation where God is allowing a threshing floor moment to separate the kissing Christians to the clinging disciples. For the people that just wanted to wear the swag, have the merch, be in the front row, sing the songs, that's the kissing Christian versus the people that are saying, whatever it takes, God, I'm going to be in that 24-hour prayer service. I may not be able to be in D.C. yesterday, but I'm going to show up. I'm going to watch online. I'm going to participate in what happened yesterday in D.C. I'm going to show up to the prayer gatherings. I'm going to get up even when it's inconvenient on my own schedule, and I'm going to get on my face before you, God, and I'm going to win the heavens because, Lord, I know you have more for us available, and I'm not going to just be satisfied with what worked yesterday because a day, today is a new day. Day. And I'm going to cling to your spirit and your presence. I'm going to get rooted and grounded in your word because when the, sw the sways of culture are coming, and boy, are the sways strong right now, I'm going to stay rooted and grounded in an undiluted gospel. Not copy and paste Christianity, but the whole gospel. And make that my opinion. Because this is an hour we don't need another opinion. We need the word of the Lord. And I believe Ruth and Naomi, physical posture literally set them up for their legacy. 
Here's what's really interesting. I believe the choices, your choices are contingent to what you cling to. Whatever you're clinging to, so whether it be fear, all your choices will go through that narrative of fear. But if you're clinging to faith, all your choices and the life you're living will go through that filter and that narrative of faith. See, because of what Ruth clung to, she was able to come into the fullness of God's plan. How do I know? Because Ruth clung to covenant, and she clung to God. Here's what's crazy about Ruth. Here's the rest of Ruth's story. So we hear about this woman in a crossroad moment. We see her decision to follow her mother-in-law, Naomi, and we're like, awesome. But see, she doesn't know the rest of the story. We do because we read it. But you know, you have to live these things. So here's Ruth. She goes, and all she's focused on is getting a meal. You guys, all she's focused on is providing just very practical necessities, bare-bone necessities, a place to live that's safe, food on the table. I mean, that is it. She's not in dream mode. She's not like, God, you prophesied this to me. You promised this. No, no. She's in sheer survival mode. She's just like, can I get the crumbs of the field? Can I follow after the people that are picking the field? Can I just get the leftover? She's in like bare bones, whatever I can get. She catches the eye of the most batch, eligible bachelor in the land, and he gives her a rose, and she says, I accept it. I'm just kidding. I don't actually watch that show. I'm just joking. Okay, okay, okay. I know, they're, they're all like, we have no idea. I actually don't watch it, but I thought it was funny. Okay, okay. <laughs> but she accepts it, right? She's like, accepts the proposal of Boaz. And all of a sudden, it shifts from bare bones survival to, wow, I have a husband. And her husband's godly, generous, amazing. He's like, I love Naomi. I'm taking care of Naomi too. So her desire to not only provide and make sure she's okay, her desire of covenant for her mother-in-law, of her dead husband, that in the natural she doesn't have obligation to, but in the spirit she has a covenant with. And she's saying, God, if you provide for me, you'll provide for my mother-in-law. And in fact, God did. So here she's just trying to get the bare bones, just the crumbs of the basic necessities of life to be provided for. But Boaz comes in and says, I'm going to give you a home. I'm a wealthy man. I'm a generous man. What I have is all yours. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of your mother-in-law. And can you imagine? They're like, yes score they're like high-fiving each other right like god is so good god is so good and i imagine i'm and this is speculation but i imagine because i believe so many of these people in the word of god are just like you and i so i imagine ruth just overwhelmed by the faithfulness and the goodness of the lord right so i imagine her taking time just like you and i would coming out of such a crossroads, such a crisis, such a tragic situation, and you're seeing the breakthrough and the provision of the Lord, and you're sitting there going, oh, God, thank you. I just wanted a meal, but then you gave me a husband. I thought that dream died. I, I, I thought family was, I, I didn't think that was in for me. I, I thought I had to leave that in Moab, but God, I came to a people that I didn't know, and, and you provided for me. I'm so grateful for your provision, and God's like, I'm not done yet. And then she gets pregnant, and she has a son named Obed. She's like, oh, my gosh, Lord, I just came here. 
for a meal. I just came here to make sure my mother-in-law was okay. And you gave me a husband. Now you've given me a child. You've given me family. I now have generational blessing and legacy. God, thank you for your goodness over my life. And he's like, oh, I'm not done yet. Because then Obed gets married, has a child, and the child's name is Jesse. And then she sees the generations, and she's like, Oh, wow, I, I, Lord, you gave me godly generations. You gave me the godly inheritance. I was just a Moabite. I'm just a foreigner. I was just a widow that had nothing. I was desolate. I was desperate. And I chose uncertainty. I, I chose the unknown. I chose what almost felt like the cursed path. But I knew in my spirit if I just followed you. But I didn't expect this. I was just looking for a meal. But now you've given me family. Now you've given me generational legacy. And God whispers again, I'm not done yet. Because Obed has Jesse, Jesse has David. King David came from the lineage of Ruth. This Moabite, widow, desolate, foreigner who had nothing. And God in his faithfulness, in the midst of a crossroad moment, in the midst of when she thought she lost everything, that split second decision in Ruth 1 shifted the course of a nation from the legacy that was birthed through her lineage. I don't know about you, but that makes me marvel at the way God does things. But here's what's crazy. God whispers again, I'm not done yet. Because we know who else came through the lineage of David. God's like, I'm going to have my only son come through your lineage, Ruth. Here's this Moabite, foreigner, desolate, got nothing, chose God. Total uncertainty. And she ended up being grafted into the genealogy of Jesus. Only God can write these stories. So when you get worried, overcome with fear, and you have that battle in your Ruth one moments of your life, and you can hear the Naomi's telling you the fear, telling you the negativity, and you're, you're feeling compelled almost by the persuasion of what's being spewed from the enemy's narrative. Remember the Ruth moments. Remember the response of the Ruth because it's the Ruth that releases your legacy. Here's what's crazy. I don't know if you're like me, but I read these stories and I study them out and I was just overcome with God's goodness and faithfulness over Ruth's. But there was also part of me like, what happened to Orpah? Here's the other woman. Same scenario, same situation, two different situations. What happened to her? She, she stayed in Moab. So there's not a lot about her in scripture at all, but historical teachings specifically by the Jewish community. Many rabbis teach this. You guys, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Historical teachings and documentation show that actually Orpah, when she stayed in Moab, married a man from the tribe of Gath. She was connected to the Philistine tribe. She had four sons. One of Orpah's sons is one that we know very well, and his name is Goliath. So when I'm studying out historically 
that hold on God you got to be kidding me that in Ruth 1 in the moment that happens and the decision that's made one chooses to stay in Moab chooses comfort convenience and to come underneath the narrative and persuasion of fear and one chooses uncertainty and faith and the things of God and one unlocks generational blessing and one continues to ensue generational curses here's what's incredible when we look at first samuel 17 the battle of david and goliath what was so significant about that battle when you understand if this in fact is the result of these two women's legacy meeting back up from that decision because if the great grandson of ruth and the youngest son of orpah met in battle that actually this is actually a battle of one choosing fear and one choosing faith one not choosing covenant and one choosing covenant and how did david come at goliath and how did david defeat goliath he said to you i come in the name of the lord you uncircumcised philistine what is so significant about that? He's saying uncircumcised, which means not in covenant. So David is coming not because of his skill set, not because he had all the weaponry or even he wasn't even wearing the armor of God. He came with his simplicity of his stones, but he came in covenant. And he knew covenant always defeated non-covenant. Now here's what's powerful. How did David know that? because it was what was modeled to him by his great-grandparents. It was what was modeled generationally because Ruth had chosen covenant. The model of covenant got passed down to the generations so that when the Goliaths and the giants in the land who had not been able to be defeated were ultimately defeated by a woman who chose covenant and it got passed on generationally. Here's what's powerful, you guys. Goliath's name means without cover. When you're not in covenant, you have no cover. There is no protection when you do not have covenant with Jesus Christ. But David's name means beloved and friend of God. I'm going to say that means covenant because when you and I are in relationship with the Lord, you and I are friends with God. He calls us his beloved. See, I believe when we are at those crossroad moments of our life, and friends, we are in a crossroad moment here in America. We are in a crossroad moment in the church in America right now. And I want you to know we have a choice to be an Orpah or a Ruth. And I believe we are in a divine realignment right now. I'm even going to say it another way. We are in a divine reset in our lives right now. But here's what's incredible. One woman continued to release the giants and the things that oppose the people of God. And the one that chose covenant actually birthed the giant killer. And I feel like the Lord is saying, I'm looking for those that are birthing the giant killers in this moment. I'm gonna invite the worship team just to come back up, whether it's someone on keys or whatnot. But I want us to take inventory of our hearts this morning because I believe there is such a strong sway of narrative in our current culture, whether it be through media, whether it be through social media, 
whether it just be through people you're in relationship with, maybe it's just been something you've partnered with, but I believe God wants to break fear out of the church. He wants to break the narrative even of grief out of the church because friends, there is loss and the loss is real. The battle is real that we're in right now and yet there is hope for what God is doing. We have to live and pray and stand from a place of victory, not defeat. So if we lean into like Orpah did and we choose those kissy moments where we're like, I'm just going to stay in the places that are convenient and comfortable. Friends, you're not going to cross over to the promises of God for your life. This is not the moment of your comfort zone. This is not, I should, let me say that better. This is not the moment to stay or choose your comfort zone. This is the moment to choose the walk of faith to be a clinging disciple. Remember, we're in a threshing floor moment. We really are seeing what's in people. Great and not so great. But I believe there is a moment this morning. I felt like I literally was just supposed to bring this word to you because I believe it's really a strategy because we can look at these two women. We can look at the reality of what they're facing. The grief is real. And that, it, it's real right now. I'm not m minimizing the complexity of the hour we live in. And then we add all the political stuff on top of it. It's like 2020 had to be an election year. Really, God? And yet, my God is on the throne. And yet my God has victory. And yet my God has the final say. And yet I will not be persuaded by grief or fear. And yet I will stand in faith. When I've done all I know to do, I will stand. But I won't just stand there in fear or shaking or nervous. I will stand there in faith, which faith is confident expectation. Right? confident expectation that even in uncertainty when we choose covenant he will write a greater story than we can ever imagine Ruth never thought her life would be grafted into the genealogy of Jesus and this Moabite woman that felt like she had nothing ended up having a book in the word of God written about her and she's still discipling us to this day through her life and through the teachings in the Word of God. Woo! Oh, because we don't have a book of Orpah. We don't even have a book of Naomi. We have the book of Ruth. Let's let God use your life to be a study, to be an example, to be a blueprint for a world right now that is riddled with fear, uncertainty, grief. Let us be like a Ruth where people can study our lives and go, how are you walking in peace when this is going on? And you're able to say, because I come in the name of the Lord and I come in the covenant of my King. And when you're a covenant kid, you have nothing to fear. Peace is your promise. I'm going to invite you to stand. And as the worship team just takes a moment, maybe we just go into a chorus. 
And then we're just going to see what Holy Spirit wants to do. I just want to release a couple things in the house this morning. But allow the Lord to take the inventory of your heart. And if there's things that need to be laid at his feet, lay them. If there needs to be an exchange for where there's been fear and picking up faith, let the exchange take place. If you have partnered with the wrong narrative, ask for forgiveness. Break all agreement and come into agreement with God's narrative. Amen? Worship team. you for the transaction that's happening in the spirit. Lord, I thank you that people, I can feel it, are laying down fear. And they're saying, Jesus, fill me with your hope. Lord, I thank you for the exchange of grief for joy. Because you say in your word, you give us oil of joy where there's been mourning. And there's mercies new every single morning. So Lord, pour out fresh mercies as we're in such unprecedented times. But what I love, Lord, you're not sitting up in heaven, afraid, scared, having the angels wear masks and sit six feet apart. Like, you're not doing that. You're sitting confidently in your throne. You're not shook, you're not afraid, you're not nervous. You're like, I am the king. I'm in control. I'm a supreme authority. So God, we just declare, where we have forgotten your bigness and your greatness and your vastness. And Lord, we put you back on the throne where you belong. And we declare who you are. If we've allowed problems or obstacles to become big and you to become so small, forgive us, God. 
I ask the problems to become small and you get really big because God, you are really big and the obstacles are really small when we keep our eyes on you. And as Pastor said earlier, as we go higher and we don't get caught up in the ground battle, I believe the Lord is saying that there will be a prayer movement that comes out of this region. And I feel like the Lord says there are revival holes, so to speak, like portals, open heaven portals around the state of Illinois. And Life Church, you are one of them. Where there's going to be a mighty outpouring in this region. I believe we're in the city of St. Charles, correct? There is a, there really is, I mark my words, there's going to be an outpouring in St. Charles and where people have found, I, I don't know the affluency of this area, but I just felt like the Lord says, where people have found security in their affluence, because that has been rocked in this season, they are looking for the true foundation of security. And I heard the Lord say, St. Charles is getting a pre, re, new priorities where they have previously found security in monetary things. I don't know if this is correct, but this is what I'm hearing. And I heard the Lord say, I am reestablishing a new security, a new foundation for the people of St. Charles. And people are going to come seeking, saying, I'm, I'm, I'm full of anxiety. I'm full of fear. I'm overcome. Can you pray with me? And I saw people coming and literally getting delivered from the spirit of fear. When they came into your company, because it's a company of faith in this room. And the Lord says, I'm bringing those that need to be set free. And they'll become some of the greatest people that stand in faith because they've had such a revelation. You can have all this stuff, but you have no security if you don't have Jesus. And Pastor Dan, the harvest is coming. You came here. I don't know anything about you. I just know this. The Lord says, I brought you. You're from England, right? I brought you from England as a missionary to America because the harvest is ripe. And the Lord says he's given you favor in the city, but he's going to increase the favor. And I believe you already have doors open to the mayor and to some civil leaders here but it's actually gonna to go to a state level. And I feel like there's gonna be meetings with the governor, the congressmen, the senators of the state of Illinois. And I feel like you're gonna bring a message of hope and redemption for the state of Illinois, where God is rewriting the current narrative over the state, specifically over the Chicago greater region. And the Lord's going to give you a download, even a prophetic word, Pastor Dan, that you're going to release to the, the officials on a governmental level. And they may not have previously been open to the prophetic, but because desperate times have shaken up where people have previously been hard of heart and hard of hearing, the hearts are going to be softened that were previously hard. And the Lord says, as you walk in faith, you're going to prophesy, and it's going to be a shift to the directions of some policy and legislation that was in the making. And it's actually going to not go all the way through. 
because they're going to get the word of the Lord. It's actually going to shift their policies and legislation. Because when the people hear the word of the Lord, they're going to want to come into alignment with it. So I thank you for governmental influence. I thank you for open doors. Just hanging here a little longer because I feel like I'm not done. So if you're like, why is she still standing in front of me? Because I just just feel like there's a little more. I'm just lingering, just lingering. <laughs> I just uh, saw finances going through your hands. And it was with the purpose of kingdom projects. So God was increasing revenue, say over here, in order to fund this. And the Lord was going to be really specific on, this is the word I'm getting, where to put profit. Where, where to put profit. So where you have profit, that profit has to be sown into projects. Pro, profit for projects. That I just felt like the Lord's like, I've put profit in your hands for projects. That has a ripple effect in the room. I feel like there's people that have business ventures. There's a, there's a real business thing on this house. There's ministry, but there's business. Uh, raise your hand if you have business. You have your entrepreneur, uh, self-employed. You're uh, a business owner. You own it. Okay. I felt like the same word I just released over Pastor Dan is available to everyone that's a business owner. That you're gonna you're gonna tap into the profit for the projects of God. That the Lord is increasing the finances to fund the vision of what he's doing in this area and even some ministries around the nations. Like things that are on your heart that you're like, God, you're doing that. I want to sow into that. But the Lord is increasing the profit in your hands. Ooh, I just got that twofold. And the Lord is increasing the prophetic voice, the prophet in your midst as well. It's twofold. Prophet monetarily, prophet prophetically. That this house is moving in profit. That there's an abundance. Uh, around you there may be lack, but you're going to walk in abundance and you will be the lender, not the borrower. There, there's an abundance. And what's interesting is there's going to be a benevolence, if not already, but it's, if it exists, it's going to go to a different level. There's a benevolence ministry that's going to come out of this house that's going to meet the practical needs of people in the community. And they're going to feel loved and taken care of by the church. Right? Because we all know when you're starving and you need a meal, right? You need a meal. When someone's like, Jesus loves you, you're like, that's great, but I'm starving. You can hear and receive the gospel on a full stomach a lot better. Do you, I mean, I'm being practical, right? Because we all know when you're starving, like you're not trying to hear anything. You're just trying to get a meal. And sometimes you got to feed a person in order to get access to their heart. And I feel like the Lord's saying, you're going to have a benevolence ministry through the prophet that's going to open up the harvest. Amen? Woo. Man, do you just feel Jesus? I mean, it's just a sweet presence. Like, I could just hang here. 
Lord, you're so good that when we gather, we don't even know each other in the natural, but we just hung out. We had such a fun time. Thanks, God. Thank, Lord, we don't take that lightly. We don't, we don't take it lightly. We're, we're really grateful for what you're doing this morning in our midst. We're really grateful. We just humbly come to you, Lord. We're just honored that when we gather, you just come in our midst because you're that good. You just part because you're that good. You're that faithful. Last thing, I just heard the Lord say, there's some people in this room where you have felt like you've had difficulty hearing God's voice and deciphering what is actually him in this hour for you and for your family. Just raise your hand. You just had difficulty deciphering. You've been seeking God. You're like in that crossroad moment, but you're like, I don't know which way is God. Just keep your hands raised. If that's you, just keep your hands raised. Because I felt like the Lord says the assignment of the enemy has been to put his hands on your ears. But this morning we're going to declare and we're going to decree the enemy's hands are cut off. And your ears are open to hear the word of the Lord. So Lord, where there has been a hindrance, even a quietness, but it's been demonic. There's been an assignment against sons and daughters to be able to hear with clarity and confidence of what God is speaking. And where there's been hesitation, even confusion. Confusion. I break confusion in the name of Jesus and I declare the ease and the ability, the full ability for the sons and daughters in this room to hear your voice clearly and that they know that they know that they know what you have spoken so that when they walk it out, there is a confident expectation of knowing you will come through because they know they're smack dab in the middle of your will. It breaks fear when we know God has spoken. So Lord, I just pray such a clarity of the word of the Lord over your sons and your daughters. Confusion is broken. Clarity come in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor. Oh, was that amazing? Church, can we honor Krista? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh. Church, I, I know time is gone, but I, I just want to, first of all, thank you again, Krista, and just encourage you. I, as elders, we were talking yesterday, and we had four hours together just to pray, and we were talking about what it means to come up here and be in the spirit so God can show us what must take place and we honed in on this God we are not ready to talk I felt like to talk to the church again about vision and where we're going in this time I felt reluctant and yet in the spirit it was like Lord we got we need we we need to a facility to facilitate what you're doing but we we, we need a building that will serve us. We don't want to serve a building. We don't want finances to go to real estate and stretch people. and stre It just, there was no peace in it. And we said, God, could, could, and we agreed, if it was possible, we would do it. And that's where we landed. If it was possible. And we thought, okay. And so I came in this morning and I said to Denise LaRocco, we're going to do it. And she said, okay. <laughs> and I, I just want to honor this, the, the, the trustees in this house. Over the years, they've made financial great decision after financial great decision to the point where our buildings are not a strain on the church. The world pays for them, the church benefits. 
in our church in England, multi, it's the largest auditorium in the southwest of England, multi-million, million dollars, and it's paid for operationally by the world. The church benefits and owns it. You know that is now the case here in this house where we are right now. It is paid for in its entirety, our mortgage, by the world. We get to enjoy it. But God, we need a building that provides profit, which is exactly what we said. That we're going to turn this around. We'll buy a building that will make profit, and the profit will serve the kingdom. That's exactly what we said. It can't be the other way now. We can't stretch the church and then hope that the world will help pay for it. No, the world will pay for it, and the profit will produce the purpose of the church. That's today. I, I came in this morning, like, I didn't even talk to John. I didn't talk, I just walked in, like, we're going to do it. And then you prophesied that. So, amen. <laughs> Woo, so good. Oh, church, I, 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 I just want to say, when Krista started to begin to speak, she's talking about digging wells. And I, and, and I was waiting throughout, like, Lord, the practical side. When you speak, what does that mean? And I just want you to know, this whole message today is how you redig wells. So yes, there's wells that need to be dug of revival in this, in this state. But for you, the key, there's a key, individually and corporately for us, that we dig wells where things got blocked up. Some of you are like, I remember this. Faith. Oh yeah, faith, not fear. Without faith. Faith, it's impossible to please God. We walk by faith and not by sight. But that's the dig the wells where, where there's, where, for Carla, I just felt for you. I know the, the well in you, Carla, is so deep of faith. It's your DNA. It's your heritage. And the enemy wants to block us, to, put, to block our wells, to fill it with stuff, all of us. And we need to pull that stuff out by faith and say, but God. I'm not going to stop. No, I'm not going to stop believing. I cannot go. I just love that revelation about Oprah going all the way back. And David cuts off his head. I just want to say this to you. He said this, how dare you? How dare you defy the armies of the living God, you uncircumcised Philistine? You person out of covenant with no covering. Love that. And I, church, if you, I want us to leave today with a, a faith that says, how dare you? How dare you block my well? How dare you come into my house with fear? How dare you put anxiety on my kids? How dare you inflict sickness on my family? How dare you? I'm going to cut off your head. And you know, what plays in the theater of your mind? Because when David said, I'm going to cut off your head, he didn't have a sword, he had a sling. In other words, he already thought this through. Set your heart and your mind on things above. I'm going to think this through. I'm going to cut off his head. I'm going to kill him, and then I'm going to get his sword. And I'm going to cut off his head with his sword. And I'm going to tell him in advance what I'm going to do. But it starts with, how dare you? Do you think you are? I've only got these little sling and the stones. I'm just a shepherd boy. But I'm going to use your weapon against you. And I'm going to cut off your head. So, Father, thank you for this morning. 
We thank you for your word and we receive it. Just say, church, just take, take it and say, I receive it. Speak to yourself. Say, I, I'm going to speak to myself. I'm going to receive this word. I'm going to start walking by faith. I'm going to have a how dare you attitude towards the enemy and sickness and anxiety and worry. No fear here. Doubt, get out. I'm not having it in my home. I'm not having it in my confession. I'm not having it in my mind. I'm not having it in my soul. I'm not having it in my emotions. I won't allow this talk in my house. No, doubt, get out. No fear here.